0: I know words. I
1: have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back. Thank you once again for joining me. This is the Peddling Fiction Podcast, and I am your host, the purveyor of so-called fiction, the one and only, Johnny Profita. And um well, you know, it's been a it's been a rough couple of days for old Johnny the Gentile, I'm not gonna lie, this was one of those tough weeks. It's just been, I, I mean, I know I, I alluded to it in the last episode. It's just been one thing after another. The, the latest in, those, in, in these frustrating events, this was, you know, not that big of a deal. It was just one more thing to just really grind my gears, is that I'm trying to do some redecorating in my place. And I ordered a, a shelf, pretty big shelf. It's like a five-foot-high shelf. And I ordered it from Amazon. You know, I love Amazon. I do not uh, demonize Jeff Bezos, as it makes my life materially better, so much easier to just go on there, type in shelf, and have something pop up that meets all of my needs. I click two buttons, and in theory, two days later, it shows up at my doorstep. Well, unfortunately, in this instance, they farmed out the delivery of this shelf to the United States Postal Service. And as you can imagine, much to my surprise, the first delivery didn't take. Okay. Shocking, I know, that a government-run organization didn't deliver the goods on time. They claimed to have made the delivery at 7.25 on Wednesday. I'm pretty sure it was supposed to be here Tuesday, but whatever. We'll, sit, we'll go with Wednesday. And I was home at seven twenty five on Wednesday. In fact, I was sitting right by my phone knowing that the doorman to my building uh, we don't we don't keep twenty four hour doormen, but we have them there. There's I think they're supposed to actually be there till seven thirty. Um in this case the the girl that was running the door, I think she cut out early. So I was waiting by my phone to buzz in the delivery guy with my shelf so that I could spend the rest of the night putting the damn thing together and finish up decorating this room. And uh, nothing happened. Nothing came. Phone didn't ring. No buzzer. No delivery. And then about two and a half hours later, uh, I checked the status of it on Amazon. And they updated it saying that they tried to make the delivery, but the door was locked. And... And or the entrance was obstructed and they couldn't make the delivery. So they'll try back the the next business day. Well, um, they were either straight up lying about that delivery or it was the biggest half-assed attempt ever. Like a guy just walked up to the door and saw that he couldn't walk right into the building so he just leaves. Okay, okay. Um, that sounds like a government employee to me. That sounds like somebody who works for USPS and the approach that they take to delivering their goods on time. So I, w- I wait till the next day. And I actually, I catch the doorman when I, ca- I had to go into the office, unfortunately, for uh, diversity training. <laughs> My annual diversity training. It's Like a three and a half hour thing. Um, that was fun. And I talked to the doorman. I, you know, I asked him if it had come. He said no. And then I uh, asked him what time he left. He said 7.30. And I was like, all right, well, I'm expecting this uh, shelf. If if it comes, just let me know and I'll come down and get it. 7.30 comes and goes. No bookshelf delivered. And so now I'm in a predicament. Because I don't know what time they're going to attempt to re-deliver this. I wasn't told that they would try to... Do it, you know, between 8 and 5 or 5 and 8 the next day or anything like that. Just said next business day. Uh, Okay, what what time does USPS stop delivering? It's unclear. So is this guy going to come back again, see that the door is locked, and just say, well, I attempted the delivery. I guess I can't do it. And go back into his car, and then they're going to stick this thing at some fucking USPS location. And I'm going to have to go, they're going to want me to go pick it up. And, and that's just not going to happen. I'm not going to pick up a gigantic shelf. They need to deliver it to me. So I'm trying to preempt that whole headache from taking place. And so I go down there, and I sit in the lobby of my building for about a half hour. till about 8 o'clock, just, you know, mess around on my phone... Looking at some memes. I'd probably send out some tweets or something like that, texting some friends. Maybe the same thing I'd be doing up in my place, just down in the lobby, waiting for this guy to deliver my bookshelf. Well, it doesn't come. All right. So at eight o'clock, I was like, All right, well, these guys are definitely not going to deliver it after eight o'clock. So I go back upstairs. And I and I'd go back onto the Amazon thing, and they're like, you want to track the package? And I do, and it's like, this is USPS, and this is their bullshit, so contact them. And they had a, a 1-800 number for the government building, or the government-run U.S. Postal Service. Called, it was like a recording. And it said, you know, if you want to speak to somebody, call back during normal business hours. Uh, uh, okay, so there's nobody to talk to. I can't get a hold of them. They, it's now two days late on this package and apparently they're just going to try to re-deliver it at some point. All right. I signed up for, on their website, for updates. They had all sorts of different updates that you could sign up for, like your package is in route, your package is going to be delivered today and your package is delivered and all these updates. So I signed up for all of those and I got a, a backlog of all the updates of them failing to deliver it the first time. And Friday comes along, and still no package. I go down at, uh, at about 7 o'clock. I'm about to head out for the night. I'm going to a, uh, a bowling thing, a, a work bowling event. And it still hasn't come. And then I get a little ding on my phone that says, Oh, UPS tried to deliver your package at 11.25 a.m. this morning and the door was locked, or the entrance was blocked, and so they couldn't do it. Okay, now it's officially bullshit, because not only was I home at 11.25 a.m. on Friday, but the doorman was working at 11.25 a.m. on Friday. So the door was open, the doorman was there, I was there, this guy, now I just think they're straight up lying, and that wouldn't surprise me in the least so i I now get since uh it's again after business hours, I can't talk to anybody at u s p s and it's Friday, so now I would have to wait till Monday to get a hold of any of these fucking Jim Oaks, right so I get on the uh on the computer with Amazon and I start chatting, and I'm like listen they they claim that they've delivered tried to deliver this thing twice they're they're just lying about it they're not trying to deliver this. I've been here both times. I had a doorman here once. They haven't delivered it. They haven't even tried. This guy's full of shit. And she asked me to confirm the delivery address, which I do. And then she says that, oh, they tried to deliver it to the wrong address. So it's like, oh, okay. I don't know if that's any better. You had the, you delivered to the wrong address twice instead of not actually delivering it. Okay, so you're not lazy. You're just incompetent. (laughs) All right. If that's what you want to go with, uh, I'm not sure which one's worse, to be honest. And she's like, yeah, you know, sometimes the delivery address gets smudged and they can't read it. Uh, Okay. Well, if you're not sure about the delivery address, and the first time you go there, there's nobody there, maybe you uh, look into it a little bit. Maybe that, that, that five is actually an eight, or, or a six, or that six is actually an eight, or something like that. And you need to do a little uh, research on this. Maybe look into it. Ask somebody the question, hey, do I have the right address here? Because this guy never seems to be home, or I can't even get to his drive. I don't even know what the problem was. And no, nothing like that. And so, anyway, Amazon goes through all the hoops for me, which was great. This chick, she contacted usps told them the correct address to deliver it to and had them set it up for monday so now it's supposed to come monday we'll see not holding my breath oh and by the way they're supposed to have a key to my building that's another thing why i was calling bullshit i was like they have a key to the building to bring mail and packages in anyway it's just such a great juxtaposition right you have on the one hand, a private company providing 24 7 customer service. Anytime you need to get a hold of them, they're available. They'll try to help you out, they'll solve the problem. And then on the other hand, you have a government run company that only exists by government mandate, screwing things up constantly and providing nothing after 5 p.m. during the week. And if it's a Friday, nothing from 5 p.m. Friday till 8 a.m. Monday. You're just shit out of luck. <laughs> I mean, what are we doing here? What? Why Why do we have this system? If this was Amazon, if Amazon was delivering this, or, or FedEx or something like that, I'd have the package the day after I complained. The next day they would have fixed this, guaranteed. Uh, anyway. That's what's been going on with me. Hope everyone's week was going a lot better. I had some other issues that, I, yeah, you know, it's already been enough of me complaining. I won't go into everything, but hopefully your weekend is going well. It's Saturday. Earlier this week, something else that really grinds my gears was, uh, well, pretty much anytime time Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez opens her mouth. Uh, It really gets my Irish up. It, It really drives me crazy. I mean, this girl is so goddamn stupid. It is unbelievable. And not only is she stupid, but she's so confident and sure that she knows what she's talking about. It's a very bizarre combination. It's that Dunning-Kruger effect that I think I've probably talked about on the show. But the dumbest people are always the most convinced that they're right about something. They always think that they have everything figured out and that they're right about everything. And, it, and it's just because they don't know anything. They're too stupid to realize what they don't know. And so they're always so sure of themselves, even though they have like the dumbest ideas of all time. So she was, this was actually this past Monday. It was Martin Luther King Day, and I guess they were having some sort of, uh, I don't know what the hell you call it, a town hall, something or other. It looked like they were in a church. And she's giving an interview with uh, some guy. I have no idea who he was. And he's asking her some questions. And she is just giving you the Marxist playbook one play at a time. One dumb answer after another, and this guy's just sitting there nodding his head. And it just drives me crazy when these people get these huge platforms to talk to people, they're being interviewed, and the people interviewing them, they're either too stupid to push back on any of their points, or they're unwilling to do so. And it just drives me insane. This is one of the the reasons why I had to turn off the Joe Rogan podcast that Bernie Sanders was on. And if you've been following any of that news, the Bernie campaign has a commercial out where Joe Rogan's in it saying that he's going to vote for Bernie and that he likes Bernie. And these are all the reasons why or whatever. He's consistent. He's been consistent his whole life like yeah he's been consistently wrong his entire life Uh, okay that's a great great quality in a politician but uh i i love joe rogan he's uh he is a legend in the podcast business he's a legend in the ufc business he's he's done all sorts of things he's he's a regular renaissance man i really enjoy his podcast I like the fact that he is, he doesn't always, like, get into these confrontations with guests that he doesn't agree with or anything like that. But to have, like, Bernie Sand, it just seemed irresponsible to me to have Bernie Sanders or any politician. He had uh, Tulsi Gabbard on as well. And I think he said that the reason he... A bunch of other uh, politicians were trying to get on his show, like uh, uh, Joe Biden wanted on and... Um, Elizabeth Warren and, uh, uh, what's his name, Bloomberg. They all wanted on. He's like, yeah, I don't like those guys, so they're not getting on. I, I respect that. And he can have on his show whoever he wants, but it just seems irresponsible to me to let somebody, some politician like Bernie Sanders to talk for three hours Uh, 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 And just spew out all this nonsense with no pushback whatsoever. You just let him say these ridiculous things and you don't challenge him on any of it. And I I get that Joe Biden or that uh, Joe Rogan likes Bernie Sanders or whatever. And I, I see why people are attracted to his message more so than any of these other Democratic politicians. But. I've seen Joe Rogan challenge other guests on his show before, and he always does it in a, in a respectful way, and in an interesting way, and I, I think that can add to the conversation, but just to let these politicians get off for three hours, in-depth conversations that where you have the, the chance to really dig into these issues, and they can't just get away with 30-second sound bites if you don't let them, and then to just let him do that. Give give his, like, canned speeches and all his political platitudes and not challenge him on anything. I had to turn that shit off after about 30 minutes. I just couldn't take it anymore. It just drives me crazy when they these interviewees don't uh, challenge these these people more. And I've definitely seen Rogan, especially with libertarian people that he's had on. Like, he had Peter Schiff on a bunch of times. And they've had some really interesting conversations, and he pushed back on Peter a a lot, especially when it came to libertarian solutions or, or capitalist solutions regarding the environment and things like that. And they got... You know, he, got, he challenged Peter on, on some of his ideas and made him elaborate, made him justify his position. And when Larry Sharp was on, I mean, he hammered Larry Sharp on his education policy. And I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I like Larry Sharp as well, and I think he would have been a great governor of New York. But he, he did a really bad job of making the libertarian case for education. But at the same time, If Joe Rogan had done to Bernie Sanders what he did to Larry Sharp, I think Bernie Sanders would have had a really hard time defending his positions as well. And that's what I would like to see out of it. And now, because Bernie Sanders has sort of gotten this tacit endorsement from Joe Rogan, I mean, if you can even say that, just because he said he was going to vote for him isn't like, I don't know, it's not a full-throated endorsement or anything like that. But the these psychopaths on the left are coming out and chastising Joe Rogan for being anti-trans and homophobic or something, all this crap, which is just ridiculous. And they're upset at Bernie for turning his back on the trans vote because Joe Rogan is anti-trans, and they took some quote of him talking about a, a, a guy in the UFC pretending to be a woman who's beating the ever-loving shit out of all these women in the UFC. And they take a quote from, from Joe Rogan talking about that out of context. And, and for that, he's anti-trans. Anyway, pretty funny. Pretty funny stuff. I, I can't believe that that Bernie Sanders is turning his back on the trans community during this ever-important election uh, cycle period because we all know that the trans have the numbers to swing this election in his favor, right? <laughs> I mean, could you, could you appeal to a more niche group than transvestites? I mean, seriously, what percentage of the population are they? Okay. Yeah, I, I, could, I could see why he wouldn't be concerned with their vote. I've, I forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> oh, the AOC thing. So she's on there, and, and she's just... And I, I pulled some of the clips, some of the dumber things that she said, and I'm just going to attack them because somebody's got to do this. I don't know if anybody else has... I'm sure people have taken it upon themselves to to sort of uh, rip her to shreds, but I feel like I have a unique ability to do this. And so let's go ahead and play the first clip uh, of the bunch. This is AOC on Martin Luther King Day giving some sort of interview to some sort of knucklehead interviewer and uh, a crowd of people who are apparently just a bunch of SEALs clapping their hands and, and nodding their heads. So here we go.
0: I just want to drill down that a little bit more, though. Why, why specifically does, you know, I'm, I'm Joe Billionaire. I made widgets. I sold those widgets. I made mm-hmm. billions of dollars, you know, yeah. selling those widgets, making those widgets. Therefore, those billions of dollars are right. mine. Why am I the enemy of health care? Well, you didn't make those widgets, did you? Mm because you employed mm. thousands of people and paid mm. them less than a living wage mm. to make those widgets for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. You didn't make those widgets. Mm. You sat on a couch mm. while thousands of people were paid modern-day slave wages, mm. and in some cases, real slave, real modern-day slavery, mm. uh, depending on where you are in, our, in, in terms of food production. Mm-hmm. Um, you... Made that money off off the backs of undocumented people. Mm -hmm. You made that money off of the backs of um, black and brown people being paid off a living wage under a living wage. You Mm -hmm. you made that money off of the backs of single mothers and all of these people who are literally dying Mm -hmm. because they can't afford to live. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Okay, let's pause it right there. (laughs) Oh my God, this is just so absurd. Literally dying because they can't afford to live. Okay, what does literally mean? Because if they're working, they're literally living. So apparently they can't afford to live. It's just a matter of what you consider to be living, I guess. Because they're alive. Somehow they're sustaining their lives. So apparently they can't afford to live somehow. But this, this whole idea of a living wage is just so ridiculous it's so subjective. It's the same thing they do with the whole pay your fair share thing. And every time we ask them, okay, well, what is my fair share? They don't have an answer. They they tiptoe around it. They dodge the question because they can't answer. It's completely subjective. What's a living wage? What is living? Because at one point the government came out with, I think this was the military, they came out with what a, a soldier needed to sustain life and they like calculated it out. It was like, you know, a sack of like, 45 pounds of uh, beans and like 30 pounds of this and like 25 pounds of oats and like things like that. They, they had it all mapped out. So, so I mean, is is that is that a living wage? Uh, what is a living wage? You get uh everyone gets a two bedroom, two bath apartment. Everyone gets a, a place with a view, uh, uh, not just a peak of view, View that they talk about on all those house hunting shows where you have to stick your head out the window and crank your head to the left to see a sliver of the ocean. But everybody gets a beachfront property now. Is that living? Does everybody get a car now? How many times do they get to go out to dinner? Do they get to go to a nice restaurant three times a week, two times a week? Or what about the movies or the uh, the opera or something? how often do you get to go to the movies on a living wage or well, what's your entertainment budget on a living wage concerts stand-up comedians well, what's a living wage this is this is just all nonsense the most absurd thing that she said there billionaires just sit on couches that's the extent of her economic analysis on this and she has a degree in economics, mind you, the billionaires just sit on couches and make all this money off the backs of all these poor black and brown people and single mothers, right? Uh, okay, well if all you have to do to become a billionaire is sit on a couch, why aren't we all billionaires? I mean, I sat on the couch all day today. I sat the shit out of that couch like it was my job today. I, I was so unproductive, it was actually sickening. Yeah, where's my billion dollars just for doing that? To distill what a billionaire has accomplished down to, oh, they just sit on a couch and enslave people it is absolutely insane. I mean, if it was so easy to become a billionaire, we would all be doing it. We would have millions of billionaires, but where there's only like a few thousand on the planet. So obviously they're doing something different. Obviously, there has to be something that they're doing that the rest of us aren't doing because we all have the same 24-hour period in our day. They have the same 24 hours. Jeff Bezos has the same 24 hours that I do, that everyone else does. So how did he manage to take the time that he has in those 24 hours and amass billions of dollars? I guarantee you it was not by sitting on a couch and just barking out orders at people. I mean, listen to some of these successful people talk about their day, where they go through their routines. You ever heard the routines of some of these billionaires, the regiments they go through, the way they approach each and every hour of their day like it's precious? There's literally no time for them to sit on the couch. They're too busy working. And if it was as simple as she makes it out to be, like we just have to sit on a couch all day and exploit people, right? I I know millions of people that sit on the couch. Why aren't they all billionaires? Uh, What are they doing wrong? Are they sitting in the wrong position? They need to adjust, maybe put their legs up, lean back a little more. Then the billions will just start flowing in. Jesus Christ. I mean, the irony of all of this is that politicians are the only people that sit on fucking couches and take billions of dollars from people in society. They're the ones that exploit and enslave people and steal their money while they sit around on their fancy fucking couches, which were paid for by the people that they've enslaved. That's the irony of all this. These politicians contribute nothing to society. All they do is take, take, take. That's it. Yeah, sure, they'll give a little bit of it back. They'll give a little bit of what they take from us to some people so that they can buy their votes to stay in power for another four years, another two years, whatever. Uh, Like One out of every $5, last I heard, that they take from us for all these welfare programs actually goes to the people that need it. But government can only take. That's all they do. They produce nothing. They do nothing that creates wealth for society. Everybody else that works... No matter what the job is, whatever you are doing is adding something to society as long as you're not a politician. They are doing something to create wealth. I mean, that's why people work, for Christ's sake, okay? That's why they get paid to work, because they are creating wealth. I mean, obviously, politicians don't know the first thing about creating wealth because all they do is destroy it. I mean, I could just work doing something that creates no wealth or adds no value to society whatsoever, I, I, you know, I could go out and dig a hole and fill it back in. I'd be working. I'd be physically working. But nobody would be paying me to do that because I'm not creating any wealth. I'm not doing anything for society. We don't just have jobs for the sake of having jobs. Nobody wants to work, okay? We want leisure. We want stuff. That's the whole point of all of this we can't obtain those things unless we first create them and become productive enough in the process of creating them that it doesn't take us as long to make the same amount of stuff or even make more stuff and so that we can take some time off from working and actually enjoy all the things that we've been making and some of our leisure without having to sacrifice all of the stuff that's the whole point of all of this I mean, this is ridiculous. And then she talks about slave wages. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one of the things that made slavery so bad was that the slaves didn't earn wages, right? They weren't getting paid. They were slaves. That's what, part of the thing that made them slaves was that they weren't getting paid. And, of course, the other thing is that they were forced to do it against their will. You know, I wonder how. You know, I wonder what a slave would say. If they were alive today, I, I wonder how they would feel to have their situation, you know, rounded up and, and sold into slavery, put into chains, ripped from your homeland, and stuffed into steerage on a ship for a three week trip across the pond, only to be, you know, whipped and beaten and forced to pick cotton. I, I wonder how they would feel to have AOC equate that experience with that of someone working for Walmart (laughs) that just, you know, wants to be paid a little more money. (laughs) It's pretty unbelievable that she can just trivialize slavery like that. Uh, That's quite a lot of trivializing for such a woke person in AOC, right? And then, of course, she catches herself. uh, They were making... uh, Slave wages, and in some cases, real slave, or uh, modern day, uh, real slave wages. <laughs> in some cases, depending on your food situation. I don't know what she's talking about there. She kind of tried to catch herself and and um, not say that people were actually enslaved in the United States, but she couldn't even manage to do that properly. Oh, and then she says that billionaires only make their money off the backs of immigrants and black and brown people and pregnant women, right? I'm going to get into this more later, but even if that was true, apparently those are the only people we're supposed to care about, I guess. If, if that's what you believe, shouldn't you also be concerned? That, you know If you believe all these workers are being exploited and they're being taken advantage of and enslaved, shouldn't you also be concerned about Everyone, not just the black and brown people and the poor immigrants and the women. Uh, What about the blue-collar, white male workers who are being exploited as well? I guess they don't count. I guess we only care about people that fit into the LGBTQ category when they're getting exploited. Anybody else getting exploited, that's perfectly fine. (laughs) Okay. Uh, By the way, LGBTQ. I mean, how could that be any more of a ridiculous category? Like what do any of those things have to, what does a a transgendered person have to do with a bisexual person or a lesbian have to do with a transsexual? Like why are we cramming so many people into one category? Uh, There's like no relation between them and yet they, they all get lumped together. Like they're all the same. Uh, Okay. Anyway, let's keep going.
0: And so no one ever makes a billion Mm dollars. You take a billion dollars.
1: Pause it. Okay. Um, You don't make a billion dollars. You take a billion dollars. I'm sure that sounds nice to a bunch of retarded people that are incapable of critical thought. But let's go ahead and try and do something that AOC and her mind-numbingly dumb supporters, all of those lemmings in the crowd roaring with applause, let's go ahead and do something that none of them have ever done in their entire lives. And let's just think this through for a second, okay? If no one ever makes a billion dollars, everyone only takes a billion dollars, where... Did the first billion dollars come from? I mean, how are all these billions of dollars coming into existence that all these people are taking? Where is it coming from? Is it just falling from the sky and they just sit on their couches and they just start taking it? I mean, AOC has said a lot of stupid shit over the last couple of years, but this is some of the dumbest shit that she has ever, that has ever come out of her mouth. And that's really saying something. Like, she has gone full retard here, and you should never go full retard, okay? And to make matters worse, she has an economics degree. She brags about it all the time. I've heard her. She uses it to justify all of her retarded ideas. She uses it to fight back at critics, uses it to try to win argument. It just goes to show you how worthless an economics degree is, or any college degree at this point, for that matter. I mean, they're giving these things away like candy. Anybody can get one. She was tweeting about her economics degree the other day and I happened to catch it. Something about how she's got this degree and nobody takes her seriously or I don't know, something like that. You have to follow me on Twitter to really get access to this stuff at pedal fiction for those of you who aren't following me. You should be. But I you know I tweeted back at her that in order to get an economics degree these days, you basically just have to throw all your common sense out the window. And it's no wonder she was able to earn one so easily, because she had a massive head start. She didn't have any common sense to begin with, so she didn't have to overcome that initial hurdle of getting rid of all of it in order to learn all this Keynesian nonsense that passes for economics these days. And who the hell is this guy interviewing her? Just nodding his head and making these grunt noises like she's making these profound points. Mm-mm, mmm, 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 mm, mmm. Hey, and he's doing it way too often. It's like his programming needs to be adjusted. Somebody needs to change his NPC coding so he can sound more like a human being. He's literally the embodiment of a lemming. He's just sitting there, nodding his head, and making these grunting noises. Uh, what's his day job? Does he, does he do voiceover work for Pornhub? <laughs> I mean, seriously. mm mm mmm, mm, mm. Uh, Oh, okay. They could have replaced that guy with a bobblehead, and the interview would have been exactly the same. Uh, This is not profound. Do not let the guys, that idiot's grunting noises, make this sound profound to you, okay? This is, like, basic economic stuff here. This is econ 101 that she's getting completely wrong. And it's just the same tired, debunked, fixed economic pie fallacy I've already tackled on previous episodes But I might as well go over it again here Uh, I'm sure we need a refresher On this right The idea that just because Someone has a billion dollars That in order to get that billion dollars They had to take it from somebody else And exploit them in the process Or they had to take it from a group of people And exploit them in the process It's just flat out wrong Okay It's not a zero sum game The economic pie is not fixed. We can create wealth where there was no wealth before. I mean, this is just so obvious. Look down at the device you're listening to this podcast on. That hasn't always existed. Some billionaire figured out a way to take raw materials and natural resources and mix them with labor to create that brand new thing, brand new wealth. You create new wealth. This is how it's done. This is how economies grow. It's not a fixed pie. If it was, we'd all have the same living standards we did 500 years ago. She seems to think that the economy we have, it just exists. Like, we just have this economy. All this stuff was already here. It's, it's a fixed amount of stuff, nothing is ever created, it's only destroyed, and now we just have to figure out the best way of dividing everything up amongst all the people. I mean, that's retarded. I, I'm sorry, that's a retarded way of looking at the, the world. Uh, we make the economy bigger through free markets, through individuals pursuing their own self-interest, by satisfying the needs and wants of other people, by working. They mix their labor with resources and create wealth where there was no wealth before. I mean, this is the, the level of economic ignorance that she is espousing here is staggering, staggering, especially for somebody with a so-called economics degree. I mean, this whatever school she got that from, I forget where she went, they should fucking pull that thing back. Because every time she opens up her mouth, she embarrasses that economics program. And I know a lot of people often get confused with economics and economic principles. It's not as confusing as you think. Believe me, if I can understand some of this stuff, you absolutely can too. But anytime you find yourself getting confused, just simplify the whole thing down. Because we have a very complicated a very complex economy now it's a, a well advanced developed economy and there's all sorts of different moving parts that can tend to muddy the waters or confuse you as to the economic principles at play, right, so just get rid of them just get rid of all that noise put yourself on a deserted island with a couple of other people and, and work through the economic principle on a small scale because if it works on a big scale it should work on a small scale too right? So if you and me are on an island together, and neither of us have anything, all right? So it's just you, me, and an island uh, with, with natural resources. So what do we do? Well, we start working. The first thing we need to do is build a shelter to protect us from the elements, right? So we build a house. We use our labor. We mix it with the resources on the island. Maybe we uh, make some tools, and then cut down a tree. and We build this house, right? So we work, we build a house. The house was our work, okay? And so now it's, instead of just you, me, and the island, it's you, me, the island, and a house. We now have a house. We have a house that we didn't have before. We've created that house from nothing. We didn't take anything from anybody. We worked. And we created something, and now instead of just being on the island, we're in the same situation. We also have a house to live in. Okay? So we just created new wealth. That's how it's done. That's how you grow the pie. It's not fixed. We literally just made it bigger and better, a bigger and better economic pie. Everybody's better off. And that's the idea. And that's what billionaires do better than anybody. They've figured out a way to kick ass at life. They're just better at it than the rest of us. I I don't know what to say. They create new companies and new goods and services and and provide new services that make everyone else's lives vastly better. Vastly better. I mean, imagine your life without a cell phone. For some of us, that's easier to do than for others because, believe it or not, they didn't always exist, all you uh, millennials out there. I think I actually might technically be a millennial. What comes after millennial? Anyway, um, I, you know, I lived the first half of my life without a cell phone. And I can tell you right now, my life is materially better because I have one. And I don't give a shit how much Steve Jobs made in the process of it. I don't care how much he made off of these cell phones. My life is a million times better. I valued the phone more than I valued the dollars. He valued the dollars more than he valued the phone. That's why the transaction took place. We're both better off. If we weren't both better off, the transaction wouldn't take place. I mean, it's literally that simple. I've gone over this concept in depth in other episodes before. So you you will have to go back and listen to them if you haven't already. Because I always say I don't try to do things in a vacuum here. I want to build off of previous episodes so that we can expand our knowledge on all these subjects. But really, all a billionaire's dollars are, all they're evidence of, it's not as AOC and all these other Marxists claim, that it's a measure of what they've taken from society, and that now these billionaires have to give something back. No, no. No, no, it's a measure of what society actually owes them. All these dollars that the billionaires have that they haven't spent yet, they're essentially IOUs from society for future goods and services that the billionaire hasn't cashed in on yet. Because think about it, the billionaire provides something to society, something that a ton of people in society value more than the dollars that it costs. And like I said, by definition, that's why the transaction takes place. Otherwise, they wouldn't buy it. So what's happening each time someone buys a phone is society is getting a highly valued good, the phone, for a lesser valued good, the dollars. Okay, this transaction takes place millions of times over, and the billionaire amasses a fat stack of dollars, right? that each person in society valued less than what they got for it. All those dollars represent is a promise from society to provide that billionaire with a good or service in the future. And if he hasn't spent those dollars yet, in this case he hasn't spent billions of them, then he's never cashed in on all those IOUs that society has written them And they actually owe him billions of dollars worth of goods and services. It's not the other way around. And then, of course, while the billionaire isn't spending the money, he or she is loaning it out to them. He's loaning it out to society, to other people, so that they can try and create wealth and grow the economic pie and make themselves and other members of society wealthier as a result. They invest in companies that hire people. I mean, this is a beautiful thing. Thank God for billionaires. Okay, let's, let's play the rest of the clip.
0: And it's not... And all of that to say mm. is that it's... And I'm not here to, to villainize and to say billionaires are inherently morally mm. corrupt. Mm. But they are... <laughs> some <laughs> disagree with me, clearly. Um, <laughs> I mean, there, I think there is a case. But... Um, but it's not, it's not to say that. It's to say that this system that we live in, life in capitalism, right. always ends in billionaires. Mm. If you don't do it, someone else will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's who decides to make that choice mm-hmm. is kind of just up to, you know, circumstance. Mm. But uh,
1: Okay, so yes, that's true. Capitalism does lead to people becoming billionaires. It leads to more billionaires than any other system I'm aware of. I will grant you that. But there's nothing immoral about that. There's nothing immoral about that as long as the billionaire didn't obtain his wealth in nefarious ways. What's immoral is advocating to steal from other people because they have more things than you, and you're jealous. That's what she's advocating for in this whole thing, is that we need to take what the billionaires have because, what, they took it from somebody else? And like I said, that's just ridiculous. If no one ever makes a billion dollars, they only take it, how did the first ones ever become billionaires? Where did they take it from? And this is just pure nonsense. They went around robbing people until they got a billion dollars? Even if that's your claim... That, that sounds like an awful lot of work to me, doesn't it? You certainly can't rob a, a billion dollars just by sitting on the couch. And th- this idea that she's, that she's pushing, this propaganda that there are just a bunch of evil people sitting around on couches, turning everyone else into slaves and making their money off the backs of poor black and brown people and pregnant women, it's not only retarded, Okay, it's dangerous. You can see how how this would be used as justification for theft. I mean, they already use it as justification to steal what like we have to take what these billionaires have because they took it from us. Right. Listen to everyone in the crowd when she says that she didn't think billionaires were inherently immoral. Everyone else thinks they are because they're buying this story that she's telling them that these billionaires just sit around on couches, exploit and enslave people and, and make all their money off the backs of poor people and pregnant women. I mean, if that was true, I, would be in the, <laughs> I might be in the crowd applaud, applauding uh, the fact that they're inherently immoral as well. But it could lead to all kinds of evil. You can see how all this propaganda she's spewing justifies going after, you know, these horrible billionaires. "Er, Let's go get these assholes. You tell me what I need to hear in order to justify taking what they have and then, you know, let's go get them. Let's go get those guys. And it's just obvious. It's obvious to me what she's doing. They're playing off of people's base instincts and their emotions, their envy. Look at those guys over there. They have so much stuff. You don't. You don't have as much stuff as them. You deserve as much stuff as they do. They're just sitting on the couch enslaving pregnant mothers and poor immigrants. Let's go. Let's go take everything that they have. They don't have a right to exist. Like, wow. Wow. They're, they're immoral. They're inherently immoral, according to the crowd. And, and she says that there's an argument that could be made. Yeah. Okay, there's a retarded argument that can be made. Absolutely. Like all your other arguments. Letting people who amass vast quantities of wealth through serving other people, through satisfying the needs of other people in society, letting them keep that, that's immoral. That's a moral outrage. But taking it from them at the threat of violence, at gunpoint, no moral problems with that. No moral qualms with that whatsoever. Okay. All these billionaires are so greedy. They just care about their money, profits over people. They're just greedy. And and, and so uh, billionaires wanting to keep what they have earned, that's greedy. But everybody else who hasn't done the work to earn a billion dollars, who hasn't satisfied the needs of as many people to amass millions of dollars who haven't added that amount of wealth to society, and so they want to steal what other people have done, what other people have earned, that's not greedy at all? Okay, good luck making that argument, Alexandria. I'm sure it will play very well to your base that you got there. And what's so special about billionaires? What about billionaires is so special? Why does it stop there? What about people that make $100 million? Did they just take it? Did they just take it from other people? How about people that made 500000 Did they just take it? Where does it stop? I mean, seriously, at what point, at what dollar amount, do you magically stop taking money and actually earn it? Are you really just trying to say that nobody ever earns any money? Everyone is just taking stuff? Where are we all taking it from? Who had it before? Who had it before we took it? How did they get it? Where did they take it from? I mean, Bernie Sanders used to rail against millionaires and billionaires. Millionaires and billionaires. Then, of course, he wrote a best-selling book, which is just unbelievably frightening, by the way. (laughs) But whatever. And he he became a millionaire. So now magically millionaires are apparently okay and it's only the billionaires that are bad. I mean, isn't someone who has like $5 million, like a $5 million company doing the same thing that Jeff Bezos is doing, according to her, just on a smaller scale? Maybe he's just not enslaving as many pregnant women as Jeff Bezos, but he's still enslaving a few of them, right? Uh, Shouldn't we go after him too? Where does this end? You know we've seen it trickle down to even the poor and middle class to some extent. That, that's why people that that make fifty thousand a year in this country probably still have to pay like twenty thousand of it. They get twenty thousand stolen from them in the form of taxation. But that's the problem with not having a principle. Ron Paul always said, "If you surrender ten percent." of your income to taxation, you've surrendered 100% of the principle. The only limiting principle, now that you've agreed to the taxation, that taxation is morally acceptable, is that the people in power say that it's going to be just 10%. If it was 20%, then it would be 20%. So yeah, right now, it's billionaires that are the moral outrage because that's what they say it is. That's what they say the moral outrage is. Well, what's going to happen if AOC is successful and they get rid of all the billionaires? Then where's the moral outrage? Is it 100 millionaires? Then multi-millionaires? And then, I don't know, somebody making a couple hundred thousand a year? If this is such a moral outrage, uh, why doesn't it ever extend past our own borders into other countries? I mean, those are just imaginary lines, right? Imaginary lines drawn on a map by politicians. And Democrats especially claim to be all for open borders, right? They don't believe in borders at all. So why do these borders magically apply to the moral outrage meter of billionaires? Why doesn't this apply to Africa? I mean, people over there are living on a few dollars a day. You don't think AOC and her, what is it, 150000 $175,000 a year salary looks like a billionaire to them? I mean, the difference between her living standard and and some poor bastard living in a mud hut in Africa is far more drastic than the difference between Joe Sixpack over here and a billionaire, or AOC and Jeff Bezos. Okay, I mean, yeah, she she doesn't have a a massive mansion, but she lives in a high-rise luxury apartment. She doesn't have her own private jet, but she still flies first class or even flies at all. They both get to eat baller meals, drive around in nice cars. Yeah, sure, you know, she doesn't have a Rolls Royce, but she's not getting pulled around by a donkey. I mean, they have the same heat, running water, indoor plumbing. He just has like 10 bathrooms to her too. Okay, okay, moral outrage, right? But someone like AOC's two bathrooms to an African guy's hole in the ground outside of his little mud hut? That's not a moral outrage? Why not? Why not? What's different? How how is it morally different? I've asked Bernie Sanders supporters this, AOC supporters this question. I never get an answer. Because they can't answer it. They have no limiting principle, and that's the problem. And if I can circle back to this whole idea that all these billionaires got rich on the backs of people... You know, they, they exploited all these workers and that they kept all the profits for themselves. And the, the difference between what they paid the workers and what the billionaires have, that's the, the surplus value of labor that they, they stole from the, the workers, right? That, that extra money that they didn't pay the workers is, is what the, the billionaires kept, all those profits— So, they underpaid the workers. They didn't give them a living wage so that they could become, make all these profits and become billionaires, right? This is, in a nutshell, the surplus, the Marxist surplus theory uh, of labor and um, Marx's labor theory of exploitation, the labor theory of value. See, Karl Marx was trying to figure out how you value something. And he came up with this theory, this labor theory of value. And in a nutshell, since we're kind of running long on time here, the idea is that the amount of work that goes into making something is where that good or service derives its value. So Marx took this theory of the labor theory of value, and from that he sort of built on that idea and came up with this idea of surplus value profits, and the exploitation of the worker, right? So if the, the item is worth X amount of dollars because Y amount of work went into it, then that's what the worker should be paid. And if you paid the worker the value of the product, then you wouldn't have any profits. And so since all these entrepreneurs are making profits, well, that's the surplus value from the labor that they're stealing from these workers, and therefore, and therefore they're exploiting them. That's how the retarded theory goes, and many people have just shredded this thing to bits. The The best critique of it is probably by um, Eugene Bumbavrik. He was an Austrian economist, and he literally just dismantles this theory. It, it, he goes through it in excruciating detail. And also, Ludwig von Mises has done a lot with it. Murray Rothbard has expanded on some of the ideas, too. Uh, there, there's just so many issues with the idea that a, a good or service derives its value from how much work went into it. <laughs> like uh, This podcast is the perfect example. Uh, according to the the labor theory of value, this podcast should be worth a lot of money because I put a ton of work into it. I'm not making any money on this, at least not yet. I, I, I work uh, several hours to produce one episode of this show. I got I to gotta research and prep the show beforehand. I have to come up with a topic. I have to uh, compile my ideas, get everything together. Then I have to record it. Then I have to edit it. Then I have to put it out there. I mean, it, t- it takes a lot of work. So why, why aren't I, I making it? Who, who's the uh, employer that's extracting all the surplus labor from me? Who's stealing all all my surplus value, according to this labor theory of value? Of of course, it's subjective. Everything's subjective. Uh, People value things in different ways. Artwork is another good example. I I could just... uh, What was that stupid fucking painting that a guy just drew like a blue uh, line on a canvas? Probably took him 10 minutes. That thing sold for millions of dollars. (laughs) Tens of millions of dollars. Subjective. Uh, I, I could work all day on a painting... Nobody's going to pay for that piece of shit because I can't paint. But there's also this marginal value theory, which is just so obvious. Like, everything, if you just think about it, and you're not just this bobblehead Marxist. Like, let's say, right now, how much do you value a bottle of water? Even if you're, okay, we could do it between states. Like, in California, water is more scarce, so it's more valuable than it is here in Chicago, where we have this gigantic lake. But let's say you're in Chicago right now. You have Lake Michigan. How much do you value one bottle of water when you have an unlimited supply of water? Not very high, right? You value other things higher. But now, if I move you from Chicago to a desert and you don't have any water, how much are you going to value a bottle of water now? I mean, you'd value it more than a diamond ring. I guarantee you at the time because your life depends on it. It's practically priceless. But if I move you back to Chicago and I offered you a bottle of water or a diamond ring, which one would you take? Obviously, you take the diamond ring. Move you to the, the desert. Now, all of a sudden, I don't give a shit about those diamonds. I need water to survive. I'll take the bottle of water. How much time went into making that bottle of water has no bearing on how much you actually value it. It's the same bottle of water. It's the same bottle of water in Chicago as it is in the desert. The same amount of work went into making it, but now all of a sudden it's far more valuable in one scenario than it is the other. Uh, In in a sense, that's the marginal value theory, right? Again, it just completely shreds any uh, any of this Marxist crap that gets... It's still, today, it's unbelievable how people still believe in this nonsense. Uh, But this theory of of how all these billionaires are just exploiting their workers because they make a profit and not all of the profits go to the workers and that all these profits are just the surplus labor that the employers are stealing from the employees is so misguided. First of all, there's a time preference involved with getting your money as an employee. Like if you want, let's say you want to sell bread. You're going to open up a bread business a bakery right and you want to start this business making and selling bread from scratch okay so if you're going to do that if we're going to make bread we first have to have flour right you can't make bread without flour despite what these uh, paleo diets will tell you that stuff's disgusting so in order to have bread you need flour in order to get flour you have to grow wheat in order to grow wheat You have to have farm tools. In order to have farm tools, you have to mine for iron ore and have some sort of metallurgy going on and so on and so on. And so there are all these steps in the process to bring the goods to market that we all take for granted every day. Okay, Let's say it's going to take us five years from start to finish. If it's going to take five years from you know, getting the tools to growing the weed to milling the flour, whatever, and then baking the bread and selling it. How are all these workers going to sustain themselves for those five years until you can make your first loaf of bread that turns a profit and start making money? Well, they will either have to sacrifice and forego a lot of the common comforts that they've become accustomed to and start saving up money in advance so that they could sustain them through the process, or they can borrow it. They can go into debt to sustain themselves. Well, what the capitalist has done, what the capitalist does, is is that he or she has already in the past sacrificed in some way, shape, or form, essentially for the workers. He, He has already saved up enough capital to fund the operation for the five years until it can start making money. And so, He pays the workers during those stages of production. And that sustains them through the process so they don't have to sacrifice. They don't have to forego consumption. They don't have to save up any money. They can just live each day like it's their last if they want to. And they can enjoy the fruits of their labor immediately. So now let's say that you stand to make $5 million selling all your bread once it's finally produced. Well, obviously, you're not going to pay the workers the equivalent of their share of $5 million today at the beginning of a five-year process just because you stand the possibility of making that much five years down the road. Uh, nobody would do that. That's ridiculous. There's time preference involved. Everyone would rather have $10 today than $10 Five years from now. And not just because of all the inflation I always talk about that the Federal Reserve's creating. You want it now so that you can enjoy it now. You want to enjoy that $10 today. You don't want to have to wait to enjoy it. Who knows if you'll be alive five years from now so that you can finally enjoy that money. What if you could get hit by a bus a week from now? Nobody knows. So yes, the workers get paid less than the total profits. They are willing to be paid less than the total potential profits because they get that money now, up front, not on the back end. They don't have to wait, and they get it no matter what. There's no guarantee that you as the bread maker will uh, make any money selling your bread. Uh, you're, hoping, you're hoping to make money, and maybe you don't. If you don't, that means that you don't get paid. But, you see, the workers, they always do. They always get paid no matter what. And then, of course, by working for someone else, the vast majority of people are made far, far more productive than they otherwise would have been working for themselves, working by themselves. I mean, if that wasn't the case, they would be working for themselves, right? Keep all the profits for themselves. Why work for somebody else? Well... Think about it this way, right? Let's let's think about a forklift operator in a warehouse, uh, to use the, uh, the Tom Woods' father's example. Now, sure, you know, you could pay some guy to stack boxes and move shit around in a warehouse with his bare hands, but how much would you be able to pay him at that level of productivity? I mean, not much, right? Because he can't lift that much weight. You know, he can only lift it so high, and he can't, lift more than one thing at a time, and he moves really slow. So how much can you actually pay him if it's just a guy as a worker with no tools? But now, let's imagine how much more you'd be able to pay him if the capitalist, you know, the evil entrepreneur, the the evil billionaire provides him with capital, with tools that increases productivity. So now the, the, the capitalist gives the worker a forklift, all right? And now, well, he can lift huge, heavy pallets that, you know, that weigh hundreds and hundreds of pounds. He can wheel them around really quickly. He can stack them on top of each other 10, 20 feet high. Some of these shelves in the warehouses, I mean, picture these Amazon warehouses. There's, these shelves are like 30 feet high. How are they getting the goods and stuff off of them? You can't do that without a tool. Things that the worker would never be able to do on their own without the capital provided to them by the entrepreneur, by the evil billionaire, the capitalist. So now with his labor and the capital provided to him by the entrepreneur, he has vastly increased his productivity and can therefore command a much higher wage than he otherwise would be able to absent that capital. So the idea that the entrepreneur is exploiting this worker and taking advantage of him is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, he would never be able to make as much money without the the capital that that entrepreneur is providing uh, him to work with. The worker would be making far less if he was left to his own devices. And if he had to work for himself... He has to take all that risk, the risk of not making any money at all, of waiting years and years for the final product to reach the point of sale so that he can actually make some money. And most businesses fail. The vast majority of them do. That's not exploitative. And even if they are, as AOC claims, sitting around on couches, earning uh, coupons and interest on all their investments or something, they still at some point in the past had to sacrifice They had to forego consumption. At some point in the past, the entrepreneur was the saver first. He or she may not have even been particularly rich at the time when they were foregoing all that consumption. But they abstained from the consumption and they saved up enough capital that they could then advance it to their workers before their product was ready to sell to sustain them through that whole process of production. So they, in fact, these evil billionaires, they're removing the burden of having to wait to get paid and the burden of uncertainty around ever getting paid. The workers get paid whether the company makes money or not. So say all the stuff the workers make isn't actually worth what they thought it was, what they thought it was going to be worth, and the company loses money when all is said and done. Well, the workers still get paid as if the product was worth something. Uh, Even if it's worth nothing. Even if it's completely worthless. Turns out nobody wants that product. The workers still got paid. And I I know I'm running really long here. I've only scratched the surface on this topic. but I'm running way over time. If you want to learn more about this, you can read some Murray Rothbard. You can read some Ludwig von Mises. Read some Bumbovrik. They will explain, sometimes in excruciating detail, how AOC... And all of these Marxists that came before her are totally and utterly embarrassingly wrong about everything, about everything. So if you don't want to embarrass yourself and you don't want your friends and your family to be a constant source of embarrassment, I need you to do a couple things for me. As usual, the first thing you need to do is just continue to listen to the show. I I do it twice a week, okay? Download and subscribe. Go onto iTunes, give me a five-star rating and review, and share the show. Find two people that you know that have never heard of these concepts that you think might be receptive to them, and, and, and share the show with them. See if they like it. And then, of course, follow me on Twitter, at Pedal Fiction. And if you want to become a supporting member of the show, and you want to reward me for some of my labor... You can go to peddlingfictionpodcast.com and donate to the show from there. I won't be pocketing any of those donations. I will put them right back into this show to deliver bigger and better content to you guys. You know, I have some, hopefully, some big things happening this year with the show. I I have a, a lot of plans in the works. So any donations would just go help fund that. And if you can do all that, I will be back to do this all over again in a few days. Until then, just remember to keep on pedaling that so-called fiction.